Welcome to Teachings in the Air. air, air. Welcome to Teachings in the Air podcast with Jerry Oldman. Coming to you from Hunkaminam Territory with a podcast series about Indigenous men's health and wellness. We aim to inspire, motivate, and empower Indigenous men to be sound in mind, body, and spirit because that's what health means. Hello, this is Teachings in the Air with Jerry Oldman, coming to you from beautiful Manitoba, dead center of the North American continent in Brandon, Manitoba. So this is part of the series called Indigenous Is, and this podcast is titled Healing for the Family. You know, the Indigenous Is series of my podcasts are about us asking our ancestors for help, turning back to our, our ways of healing, of parenting, of gathering food, of music. You know, the, when I think of what happened, you know, we all know the word colonization and residential school and the 60s scoop and racism. You know, those words that are constantly in the air now. And I think of the impacts of that, that it had on me, my family, my community. And I know there have been many. You know, we have broad-based problems as indigenous people. You know, I started doing the podcasts, and it was all about health and wellness. And health is about having a strong mind, a strong body, and a strong spirit. I was wondering what to call this podcast. And at the sweat lodge this morning, the message came for me was call it healing for the family. And, I, and, I've, and I've heard that in my mind. I say, that's it. That's, that's a wonderful message. Healing for the family. Because when I started to heal, it was about Jerry. You know, <laughs> it took me a long time to understand that I belonged to a circle. Father, mother, siblings, uncles, aunties, cousins. 
when I finally did feel it, it felt so good. Because I'm not alone. So I started calling all my young relatives, Steve and our nephew and niece. Adults, I call them cousin or brother or sister. So I started going home. And in order for me to do that, I have to heal. My healing journey was a blessing because I I know there are many methods. In the 70s, they were using, I was addicted. They were using alcohol. I mean, I was using alcohol and drugs. And the treatment at that time was Alcoholics Anonymous and religion. Then I found out culture is too. Culture is healing. <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's such a... And it's free, basically. Talk to an elder, bring a gift to an elder, someone doing ceremonies, and they'll help you. So that's what the podcast is about today. About healing for the family. I, got, I was happy when that message came to me. Because I feel that when we start spreading the word, people will understand I'm responsible for myself. And when I'm responsible for myself, my family is going to benefit the children are going to benefit. I've seen so many sad children in my working experience. I've seen children's eyes go change when they see their mom or dad intoxicated. I've seen the pain and suffering. And that's why I stay in the field I'm in. to do my best to work with the people, to be with the people. So I'm, uh, years ago I met this wonderful person and uh, addressing one of our social problems that was everyone is struggling with and still struggles with today. And uh, somehow... I got asked to work with this group that was doing, um, <laughs> I was told by my friend, who's actually my adopted son, Aaron Nelson Moody. And I, was just, I said, Denise Findlay got a hold of me and wants to help out at one of your workshops. And I said, I think it's called Crabs in a Bucket. <laughs> and he says, yeah, he says, it's really cool. You know, and he says, you know how it is as indigenous people, one of us almost makes it and the rest, the rest of the people pull us back down. 
And I said, yes, I know that. That's, that's a good name, crabs in the bucket. One crab's going to get free, the other one's pulling back. <laughs> you know, I felt that myself. You know, I, I remember when I quit drinking, people were trying to force me to drink. I was a crab trying to get out of the bucket. So I went to work with Denise Findlay. Such a wonderful workshop. Elders there. You know, so I was thinking about this project. Indigenous is an area around family and youth. So I linked in with Denise. And she's my guest today, along with Marla. And I've been to one of their debrief sessions. And I'm saying to myself, what a gift for families to have these two life givers contributing to the healing movement. Because that's what we're on, the healing movement. We're going home. We're going to be healthy and be strong in mind, body, and spirit. Many are already, but we're going to attract many more to it. And we're going to prevent suffering by helping the families. So I'd just like um, my guests to introduce themselves, um, a little bit about their their life history, and I'm really curious, why, why do you do this work? And um, first off, I'm going to ask Denise to introduce herself first and introduce the program that they're working. Then tell us why, why, why are you doing this, Denise? Thank you, Jerry. It's so just, I get mesmerized every time I listen to you, get lulled into a, a nice, uh, calm, relaxed state. Uh, but I guess that that's good because my elders have always taught me, you always speak from the heart. Don't pre-plan uh, what you have to say. And you always get me into that space, which I love so much. Um, uh, hot Squall, uh, Quince, now Denise. Um, my name is Denise Finley. Um, I am what you call a two-eyed seer. Uh, I belong to the Squamish Nation, where I have the privilege of living and raising my children. And I'm neighbors with Splash, Aaron Nelson Moody. Uh, him and his wife are very good friends of mine. Uh, and I've learned so much from him over the years. And I know that some of those teachings, many of those teachings are Jerry's teachings trickling down uh, through that intergenerational relationship that I've received the benefit of um, and it's my pleasure to be here today to just be given the opportunity to sit with you, Jerry and, and Marla, and to be able to speak to something that's very near and dear to my heart. Um, you know, way back when, when I started working in our communities and traveling throughout BC and other parts of Canada, um, you know, when you're younger and you think you have the answers to things, right? You think you have the answers, um, and over the years, as I've, as I've grown, I, I've learned, uh, of course, and my opinions about things have changed. And they're always changing because we never stop learning. Um, but I realized in my own journey uh, as a parent and uh, looking at my own childhood, which was fraught with um, much disruption, I, I had a childhood and uh, a youth, a young, as a young adolescent 
the ground shifted beneath me many, many times in my life. Uh, I couldn't find stability and um, that was very difficult for me. And I, and I suffered very much as a result of that. Uh, and so as a parent of my own two children and working in my own community with families at a very grassroots level, I realized this is, this is what we need in order to heal. Um, that we've, we've experienced what I call, and I'm kind of a radical. I like to get right to the root of things now. I don't like to stay up in the complex. I just like to get right down to the root of what's going on. And I've, I've spent oh, so many hours thinking about this, dreaming about this. This is the thing that's kept me up at night trying to figure out, you know, at, at a very root level, what is it when we talk about the impacts of colonization historically, but also today, the psychological stress that that imposes upon um, us as Indigenous people, the, the stress that I have felt and the inner conflict that I have felt um, being from two different cultures and not feeling like I could fit here and not feeling like I could fit here and feeling very misunderstood most of my life. Um, it's a profound kind of a stress. And uh, I'm finding now, of course, after all these years coming full circle, that it, it's been this, this wound that's occurred as a result of this rupture. Um, you know, colonization caused this very core, what I call a rupture, um, a soul wound, a rupture from a way of life, from a worldview, from a way of seeing the world, um, as a whole interconnected being part of something uh, much bigger than us, um, a separation and a rupture from nature, a separation and a rupture from each other. Um, and I still see that today in, in how uh, we teach our children, how we are raising our children. It's very separation based. So we're always extracting each other. And you see this in our in our communities too that there's you know the nuclear family and people are huddled away in their homes and um, I mean I have don't get me wrong I love living in my community there's such a there's a sense of warmth despite the problems there's a sense of security and safety and being part of despite all of the challenges and problems but there's people I've lived uh, next to for 15 years that have never said a word to me. And what does that tell you? That there's a, there's, people are still in a survival mode in many cases. And so many of our parents are parenting uh, from a survival mindset. And that's not a conscious choice. That is, that is the instinct to survive uh, and to protect oneself. And as a result, there's, these, there's, this, there's this rupturing between families, amongst families, between nations in some cases. Um, and we've got this, this colonial mindset that's been insidiously embedded into us. That we, for some of us, we have these blind spots that we're, we're trying to fix the problem, yet we're still coming at it from that separation-based, aggressor-type kind of frame of mind. And so for me, I've, I've kind of come full circle. And I thought, you know, we, we don't talk about love enough in our families. We don't talk about togetherness, warmth, just resting in each other's care. We're all trying to solve the problem and we're looking to outside experts and 
it's not making things better. Uh, our, our children need their parents. They need their aunties, their uncles. They need their grandparents. Uh, we need to be together again. And, and how do we do that when we have so many people that are fighting in that fight mode and afraid? Uh, and so that's, that's uh, really, I think, the underlying philosophy of our program, Gathering Our Medicine, is that we're endeavoring to shift people's perspective back to being community-centered, child-centered, family-centered, and that we actually, our children need us, not experts, not medical experts, not um, mental health experts, but they need us more than anything. Uh, and that in deciding to be that for our children, we heal too. Those relationships, those connections nurture us. And there's all kind of, kinds of brain science around this now and which, isn't it crazy that science is now just repeating what we've always known. They're just saying, oh, look what we've discovered. But yeah, we always knew this. So I think that's always kind of interesting to go, okay. Uh, so let's use that science to say, see, we, we, know, we knew our ancestral wisdom, that ancestral memory that's deep within all of us knows these things already. If we, if we understand, we can take action. We have to understand first. And you, I understood you. You're bringing understanding, contributing to understanding. So thank you. So Marla, can you, we have you introduce yourself to the teachings in the air listenership? Thank you, Jerry. And, and thank you for this space and, and so generously inviting us into, into your space here. Good morning to all. Uh, my name is Marla Klein Kalamea. I'm just a few hours north of you, um, where you are in in, uh, in Brandon, Jerry, and I'm in the northern interlake of Manitoba. And I'm just listening to you and Denise, and thinking about been thinking a lot the last couple of days, knowing that we're going to have this conversation about the question of of what brought me here and what led me here. And it's, and, it, and it's a big question, but you've both already distilled it down in, in what you've shared this morning. And it's that seeking understanding. And I, I, my background is in counseling. And I began my career working with victims of domestic violence and in a very circuitous route, eventually found myself to uh, working as a counselor in the school system with uh, children and adolescents. And I, I think I'm not alone in being in the helping profession, full of people with big hearts, yearning to be of service and going forth without a lot of understanding of how to do so. And I would say that's very much the place that I, I came from. Um, I'm a Métis woman, I was not raised in my culture and uh, experienced a lot of um, grief at this time in my life for, for what I missed out on and what um, the other families that I have shared these conversations with, what we've missed out on and not being raised in our, in our culture. And I'm finding that as I continue to to yearn to be of service and have a lot of insights that I didn't have 
when I began my career that being of service means restoring care back to families and to communities. And it's not coming in as a helper with a role and a title that is not a context that is helpful at all. Even if your heart is big and your yearning is big to serve in that way, it, it's, not, it's not a helper that helps. It's being in community. It's being in relationship. That is what is helpful to our, to our families. And that is an interesting tension because a lot of the models that we're still working in today in the helping professions are the outside coming in and being the answer. But I find, and I absolutely found when I was working in those types of models that more often than not, I got in the way of healing. I wasn't helping healing, I was getting in the way of it. That's a, uh... You know, we're all assimilated. But I, I learned to call the Euro-Judeo-Christian <laughs> worldview. You know, and what you're saying just makes so much sense. You know, it's, I've seen, I call it waste, wasted resources. Outside coming in, telling people how to do it, what to do. And, it's so sad for me to know that, you know, that um, we're trained in uh, colleges and universities now. <laughs> we even had to fight our way to get in there, you know. And, um, but that word cultural relevancy, what you're mentioning here, is so true. You know, to have that understanding of the people, if they're Indigenous or Métis. If you have an understanding of some of their core issues, then you'll hear them. You'll see them. And every human being wants to be seen and heard in a good way. Every human being wants to be respected. I worked in a residential school project for 14 years, helping survivors through the court system. And I heard life stories that were just heartbreaking of human beings that became institutionalized as children. If you're institutionalized, you're waiting for someone to tell you what to do what not to do, when to do it, and what's the right way to do it. Because I grew up in that. I went to Kamloops Indian Residential School. And my mind became institutionalized. I had to break that and realize I have rights. I got a mind. You know? So when you're sharing that, Marla, that's what triggered those thoughts for me. And thank you for sharing that with us.
So what I'd like to get into now is our little discussion here. Is uh, Denise, I'd just like to ask you, what in your view is missing for families now? Well, I think uh, it goes back to what I was uh, touching on a little bit in my introduction, and Marla touched on it as well. It's, you know, part of the cascading impacts of, of this colonial, what I call this colonial system of thought that we've all been conditioned by. I mean, we, it's inescapable because it's, you know, with globalization, it's everywhere, this way of seeing this the world, this way of thinking. Um, it's very work oriented and it's very economically driven. And um, in order to earn money and be part of that economic system, uh, we have to leave each other. And so we are not living in togetherness in the way we used to. And this work mode uh, and the stress of that has taken over our lives. And so it's hard to shift for many of us into and it happens so um, spontaneously. It's, a it's only natural that we, and if you think the, about the way we lived in the long ago, there was a time for our work, but even our work was done in togetherness. One of my elders said to me, you know, in the long ago, Denise, we didn't um, work for money. We worked to live. And so even the work was done in togetherness. Um, uh, now, you know, we're, we're, in pursuit of the material goods. We're in pursuit of, you know, getting the money to survive. And that requires us to be competitive with each other, to not be available to one another. And it makes it very difficult to just shift into what we call a rest mode and simply be in togetherness and enjoy one another. And the medicine that comes even, I, I'll just distill it right down to an essence. If you think about the family, family meal time ritual of sitting around um, and now with COVID of course it's it's pushed us even further apart and that's why people are suffering so badly with stress and there's escalation and depression and anxiety and, and mental health problems but even if you think about the family meal you know coming together to to not only enjoy someone co cooking and caring for us and providing sustenance to us but to nurture each other's spirits through laughter, eye contact, feeling a sense of belonging and all of the warmth that comes when we come together in this way. Even something as simple as that is missing now because of busyness, because of stress, um, and because of all of the other uh, uh, things that come from that place, addictions, being distracted, our technology, um, and so how do we, you know, our, our people are so busy looking for answers to all of the problems, but I often, um, we have so many blind spots about what's right in front of our noses, that our people are right there, our children are right there, you know, our culture is there anytime we want it. We have beautiful people willing to share and teach and lead if we would just, you know, I think the, the technology is such a wonderful symbol uh, for what's going on. If we would just look up and see what's around us again and be receptive to that, uh, that that would nurture our spirit and provide the sense of resilience we need uh, you know, to continue to carry on and to heal. Yes. 
you know that <laughs> that's clear you make it clear um denise because i agree with you that you know that warmth when you're together really together because there are times that i was in a room with my family especially when i come back from residential school it's just like there's a magic wall there now i'm an individual and i look at my granny she didn't change really it was me that changed became an individual and uh, my granny was all about family and all of a sudden there she sees her grandson and you know and others that just seem to care about themselves or be depressed about themselves you know you know there's a range of emotions that spectrum that we all live you know so what you're saying is just to find that glue that'll bind the family together again so what's going on for you marla when you listen to this what's missing i'm thinking jerry so much about um about the parents when i think about what's missing i think about all of the young parents that i've worked with who come seeking answers often for for young adolescents for 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 youth in their you know early teenage years in that very um vulnerable tender time of life that transitional time of life and it's very natural that uh, kids that age become very stirred up. There's a lot happening for them. And working as a counselor in the schools, I found that parents would often come to me very concerned about their kids and really so entrenched we are in this Western medical model of um, health that can be very misleading that parents would come to me quite concerned about what was happening to their kids and quite convinced that something was deeply wrong and things were not deeply wrong at all things were unfolding exactly as they needed to for their kids but we've lost all of our teachings around what it means to be emotionally healthy and it just the idea of, of going to professionals to get answers for our kids when the, the understandings are with the, the mushums and kukums, the aunties, the uncles in the village, that's where the answers all lie. But we, we're in this tense place of, of feeling like we're not parenting in the way that our kids need if we don't get them into counseling. But that's not the context that ever was a natural context for healing. Yes. You know, we're sort of drifting into the Judeo-Christian, you know, European ways. And, uh, you know, there's good things there. I'm not dissing it. You know, I've gone, I've gone, I, you know, to deal with my post-trauma stress disorder, I went to a clinician and went through EMDR. It's like a no-talk therapy, and it was very good. It was very efficient. It, it worked. Because I'd say to myself, you know, I want to stop being negative about Jerry. 
And it wouldn't stop. Even when I say, stop, stop that, you know, talking to myself, you know. You're a good man, Jerry. And then my, something in the back, my, no, you're not. You know, so, I, so I'm not dissing, you know, the, the counseling therapeutic models. But I, I've asked myself, why aren't we taking advantage of it when it's there? What's a stigma? Because the word stigma means a stain. What's a stigma about going for help? Because people don't want to say, I have mental health issues. Because people can say, you're crazy, you're nuts, <laughs> you know. And I grew up in that as a child, hearing that, you know, nobody wanted to talk about anxiety, fear, anger, depression, because those are mental health issues. And that, automatically, they think schizophrenia and stuff, you know, the heavy-duty ones but the ones we go through consistently. So what I feel is missing is to a model that we can all adapt or adopt on how to address. And Denise mentioned this about emotional competency. One of my success stories <laughs> And I could probably count my real success stories in one hand, working with families. But I decided when I was working for this agency that I'm only going to work in the homes, not in the office. I don't want families coming into the office. I'm going to go to them. And my boss looked at me at the time. She says, really? I says, yes. I said, I got a car, you know, and the community is spread out all over. So you just let them know that I'm coming. So they set up my first session. And at that time, I decided that I'm not going to go in and talk about the husband's chronic alcoholism, the daughters not going to school or having boyfriends or not doing the dishes or any of those common things that people want to send their kids away for counseling or their husband or their wife. I said, when, we go, when I go in, we're going to sit around the table and have a cup of tea. And I'm going to give you these little file cards one of my tools and I work with any group I carry file cards and I said the first thing you were gonna, you're going to write is three things I want to change about myself on one side of the card then on the other side you're going to talk about three things I'd like to see change in this family so I'd give them ten minutes to write that sipping tea and they're writing Husband says, I can't draw very, I can't write very good. I, I draw pictures. Put symbols in there. It doesn't matter. Just put something on there. <laughs> you know, because he is a residential school survivor, you know, he was addicted, he was abused. Everybody who went to residential school suffered some kind of abuse. So we done that, and then I would. I gave them each a binder and I go back and printed out my computer and they'd each have what they shared. 
Then I go in and we talk just about one emotion at a time. And this is an emotional competency. And the, the question I'd ask is, what happens to me or what is anger to me? So they write that. Other side of the card, what happens when I see someone angry? Then another card, what happens to me when I'm angry? Then they would share what they wrote on their cards as a family. So they had an understanding of what anger and what happens to people when they see anger. It, it, I started to watch this emotional competency unfold and they became where they can talk now about being angry and being upset. Because the last part on the last card was, what am I going to do now when I'm angry? <laughs> you know? So the, the I statements are important for us because I think Denise or one of you mentioned, you know, about being isolated. That's when we become I people. When we become I people, we're prone to depression, anger, and fear. Because it's a group thing. Somebody will help you figure it out. <laughs> Auntie, uncle, or whoever, right? Yeah. So that was, um, I think that's what's missing. There's a model. And I, I know you, you were working as a model. And I know there's some, probably a lot of models that will work. But it's all in their approach. After my first year as an addictions counselor, 1976, 77 rolls around and I told the chief I'm quitting. He says, why? I said, I've been working one whole year and I don't have one client. <laughs> Nobody wants to quit drinking, I mean. <laughs> and he looks at me and he says, change your methods. Give it another year, Jerry. Change your methods. I said, oh, okay. Because I figured I wasn't earning my money. You know, because I got, I got moral standards, <laughs> work standards. <laughs> so I said, okay. So I started taking people out berry picking. We took out the men cutting wood. I started a boxing club. I started coaching track and field with the kids, children. And I took people to the fishing grounds. And it was there that I didn't even have to talk as a counselor. We're sitting around a campfire having tea. And all of a sudden, this man starts talking about his problems. I didn't even have to ask him. The environment, I think, is so critical. Because there's a stigma about offices. It was social workers that caused a lot of harm in the 60s scoop, and even today. RCMP doctors, 
teachers, professionals, have created a stigma for our people that there's something wrong with us. Nothing wrong with us. It's what happened to us. So we find a way where we can get them to say hello to their problems. Then they can say goodbye to them. So I have one more question. And it's... um, Jerry gave you, um, Sahil that gave you a million dollars to do work with families. What would you do? Just a few statements or go as long as you want, whatever. This is just, a, this is where we use our imagination and all of a sudden it might just explodes. A million bucks, oh my God, this is what I do. <laughs> so we'll start with Marla this time. This is about the solution. <laughs> Oh, how to contain myself with that question. (laughs) Um, I'm just going to speak about what I, what matters to me right now. I think that what feels uh, most natural for me. And that's, uh, if I, I will say if I had um, my magic wand where I could uh, bring Denise into all of my communities here at home and join her and hers that we could spend time with um, the elders and the caregivers in the communities to share the insight that um, they are in fact the answer and that who, who we are as people is beautiful. Our rituals are beautiful. Our culture is beautiful. And that we can take care of each other in that model. That's why I was so drawn to work with Denise is because she, um, you know, she's written this program called Gathering Our Medicine. And um, we certainly uh, honor deeply one of our biggest mentors, Dr. Gordon Newfeld, who was the first person that I heard speak about relationship as being the answer for kids who are struggling. And when I entered into relationship, instead of working as a professional, it transformed all the relationships in my life and with the families that I was trying to take care of and assist and help and you know, that's where my yearnings continue to be. And so I am I, thinking so much about the now the money aspect. I hadn't thought of it in that way, but I guess it would just mean accessibility to me that um, this kind of insight becomes accessible to everybody. This kind of healing becomes accessible to everybody. Okay, that's a good one. That's what, that's what we're all about here. Denise. Yeah, in my wildest dreams, what would I do with a million bucks? Well, wow. I mean, part of, part of, uh, and I think, Jerry, I just want to quickly go back and say you hit the nail on the head about the relational approach. Um, and there is a ton of research 
on this. And I'm undertaking my PhD now looking at this um, about how we can't do anything outside of relationship, really. And so that the relationship is the first and foremost thing, and that it doesn't really matter what modality you use. You can go berry picking can be your your modality, your methodology. And the moment that someone trusts you, they feel safe with you and they fall into a spontaneous relationship with you, it becomes therapeutic. And so you don't have to have a degree in psychology to be a healer. This is the piece. And it, it so so if I had that kind of money at my disposal, boy, I would carry on what we're trying to do, which is build capacity in community so that we can pass these teachings on and become facilitators of, of community members looking to their own place-based rituals and ways to provide healing to their own people, that our people start to look to each other as the answer and, and realize, wow, you know what, our traumas do not have to continue to be, our tragedies do not have to continue to become our traumas. We are resilient, we are built uh, to overcome adversity in togetherness. And that we have all of this, uh, these beautiful ways of knowing and being right there at our fingertips and we have each other. And that, you know, I would continue to spread that message and build capacity and, and support this work in community um, because there's only one of me and one of Marla, um, <laughs> right? And, and it's not our work to do it all for everybody. It's not. Uh, and that's, the, that's really the model that we are attempting to uh, continue to develop and impart uh, and shift that colonial mindset around mental health and healing that, that there are other ways that will work better for our people. Yes. You know, indigenous is, is about empowering your neighbors, your family, you know, and um, I've, I've had fantasies about a million bucks what I would do. <laughs> you know? I had this fantasy in 1995. I'm going to find the way that everybody can use and will heal. And I, my description in my mind was this, there's this thread that you pull on a rice sack. We used to buy rice and flour and cloth sacks. And if you pull the right thread, it just goes, you can open the bag. If you pull the wrong one, you have to cut it with a knife or a scissor. I said, I want a program that you can pull it and just go, and everybody takes part. Everybody wants it. <laughs> you know? But I know that you both said the answer. I was in Labrador, like I was telling you. There's two very important messages there for me. It's a man-made problem. And the other one was the elders of that community told the man that hired me, we want to talk to that man. He came to me and he said, the elders want to talk to you. And they put up a big teepee overlooking the Atlantic Ocean, away from the community. So I go on there with these elders. 
have two interpreters because that's all they speak is Ino. So they're asking me about BC, about the people over there. So I tell them, you know, we are really high alcoholism, drug abuse, violence, destruction of property, suicide. And uh, I said, people are losing their language in their ceremony in lots of the communities. So I told them, told them, they asked me questions and I told them what we're doing, you know, and asked, they had asked about food, they asked about all kinds of questions. I think they seen the impact of junk food on us as people. Because they get a barge there on an island and they'd have a barge almost a pop. So a lot of people are addicted to pop, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, you know, lots of sugar in it and stuff. Anyway, they asked me questions and then they were talking amongst themselves and then uh, the interpreter says to me, they want to know if you have a question. And of course I did. These are elders. The last ones to come off the land, last ones to live on a reservation in Labrador. Fluent speakers chased the caribou herds when they were young. So I said to them, why are we this way, right across Canada? And they talked amongst themselves. And interpreter says to me after a while, he says, they know the answer. I says, oh. So he says to me, they said we're like this because we're breaking our own laws, indigenous laws. And they said they even have an example. They said the caribou herds were our lifeline. They kept us alive. We'd follow the herds in Labrador. Just like the way buffalo used to be in the plains. Used to be 65 million buffalo from Alberta to Manitoba. That's <laughs> a lot of buffalo, right? And it's the same with the caribou herds. And he says we had such a respect for the caribou that the long bones on the leg, we grind it up to use in ceremony. And if we didn't use them all, we'd bundle them up and hang them in the spruce trees to let the caribou know we respect them, we honor them. He says, now if you go down, you can see caribou legs laying on the ground. And he said, if you, as soon as we start to break one of our laws, it's easy to break the others. So that makes total sense to me. So part of it is for us to revive our laws. And these are relationship laws. I remember the first time I make a hand drum. This is not the one this was gifted to me. My teacher, Aaron, 
I made a drum. I had to overdo it a couple of times. Make mistakes because I was insecure. <laughs> you know, I make the drum and I'm looking at oh, it's beautiful. So perfect. How could I do that? I could because he's a wonderful teacher. And I'm looking and he comes over and he sees me looking and I'm smiling. And he says, you know, you have to give it away, don't you? <laughs> I says in my mind, no, no, no. <laughs> but I gave it away. And the teaching is you don't give it to a family member. You give it to somebody else in another family because it's about forming relationships. Creating bonds with other people. That's being indigenous. Indigenous is healing yourself when something goes wrong. Actively look for the healing. Someone asked, I was listening to these people talking about parenting. Is there a parenting program? And the answer was, the parents to be good parents must always heal themselves. There's no magical step process in parenting. Because once you heal yourself, because when we're hurting or we're cut, you know, between human beings, we're walking around either with fear, anger, or sadness in our eyes because of conflicts between families, in the family too. So if you're carrying that, of course your children are going to see it. Pick it up. So to be a good parent, heal yourself. And your children will see in your eyes that you're okay. It's a tough job parenting. I know it is. I've raised two sets of kids, you know. And, and but I see in lots of, I reaped lots of rewards after I healed. So I'd just like to thank you for sharing with me today. You know, it's a, it's a good way to be on the winter solstice with you. Because we're going to the light. Because the earth shifted on its axis. And the days are going to get longer again. And we want to show some light to the families. And uh, there could be a father, a mother, a child, a sibling listening to this podcast. And the hope is that they achieve some understanding. Something will fall in place for them and say, oh, maybe I should go see my uncle or my auntie. We come from beautiful people. All indigenous people are beautiful people. And yes, we've made mistakes. But we can heal. Healing for the family is a good message. 
And that's what this podcast is about. That's what the goal was. And I, I have really wonderful feelings, and I'm just so grateful that you joined me. And I'm grateful for the work that you do. You know, compassionate people are the ones that are willing participants with those people that are suffering. And I know I'm sitting with two compassionate life givers today. In my view, a lot of the majority of the healing after we crashed and burned from colonization was picked up by the life givers. Many of the life givers kept the language, kept the ceremonies going, as well as grandpas too. There's a lot of grandpas that taught me. But I just like today was to acknowledge the life givers. I'd never be here if it wasn't for my mom. You know. So I think all of us guys need to understand that. So we're going to be closing off here. So um, I'd like to close off by you choosing because a family, our grandchildren, children, parents, siblings, uncles, aunts, cousins, if you're going to pick a group today, or you can just say families in general, what would your message be going into the light? So you can pick a grandpa or grandparents or parents or children. Just whatever comes up in those wonderful minds of yours. <laughs> so this is a chance for you to give a message to a specific group you want to, or you can just say families in general. Let's start with Denise. Um, oh, that's such a wonderful question. Um, and I'm going to say families in general and all adults in, in uh, caring for our kids, the best thing you can do for a child is, is let them see your delight in them and let them see that twinkle, that sparkle in your eye. Let that shine for them and let them see that that is the best medicine for a child's soul. And it's something that we all are capable of. We all have access to this. <laughs> Thank you, Denise. That's a good one. Okay, Marla. I also want to speak to any adults, any families who are who are caring for the young, whether that's in your own family or in the context of a school or in any context where you take care of kids. There's incredible hope. There's it's to know that relationship is the answer. That that our own if for the adults who are struggling with their healing, becoming the answer for a child is healing in, in and of itself so that you don't have to be fully healed to take care of your young, showing up, taking care of, delighting in them as Denise just so beautifully said, and not letting anything get in the way of staying connected, staying in togetherness. That even when our big feelings arise and things can get messy in the family, that that's okay, that we can take the lead and take the responsibility of keeping our kids connected to us 
no matter what. Okay, thank you. And I just like I'd like to give a message to um, I guess all the dads and grandpas. You know, to not give up. You know, to reach out. Reach out for help. But also to share, like Denise was saying, get a twinkle in your eye. Connect with somebody. Help them to laugh. Help them to weep. Help them to be themselves by being yourself. You know, you're being your authentic self. Yes, we're going to make mistakes in the future. We've made mistakes in the past, but we can get over it. We truly can. Sometimes it requires making a lot of amendments, doing the work of taking responsibility for your actions. I'd just like to thank you know, my teachers. One of them, elder, he says, be careful and sincere with your words. And he used the term, it can be like a bullet leaving the end of a gun. Another elder said to me, don't you ever play with that word love. If you're going to say you love somebody, you mean it. You don't play with it. You be careful. So I've had wonderful teachers. I call them campfire teachers or, you know, they're around the fire. Around the kitchen table. I just like to honor all the ones out there now that are helping. people like yourself. We're going to revive the laws of our people and share it with the world. And I just can't thank you enough for coming on to Teachings in the Air because we've released Teachings in the Air. Thank you. Hello. Hello.